Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from mum of two Hina, who was just 36 when she suffered a heart attack out of the blue whilst preparing for Diwali celebrations with her young daughter. I had a young family. I had a son and a daughter, and I was worried about them. They were both in school and really young. I didn't want anything to happen to me more because I was worried about the future of my family. But I tried to push all of those thoughts aside because I knew they were not going to be helpful. From the British Harp Foundation, I'm Ruth Huntman. On the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, I talk with Hina about coming to terms with having a heart attack at such a young age, her joy at celebrating poignant family milestones she thought she may never see, and why the BHF was a lifeline during her recovery. Hina, thank you so much for taking time out of your really busy day to to talk to me today. Um, It's lovely to speak to you as always. Can you just start by telling me a little bit about yourself and, and your lovely family? Thank you for having me here. I'm delighted to be able to do this podcast with you. So um, I'm Hina um, of Asian background. I've lived in Kenya before and I currently live in London in the UK with my family. And in my family, I have uh, my husband. I have two adult children who are sort of out of the house. And I also have my wonderful father-in-law who lives with me. So, yeah, I'm delighted to be here. And um, can you tell me, before we go on to talk about what happened to you, were you aware of any history of heart disease in your family? No, this totally caught me by surprise. Um, My family did not have any um, heart-related disease or any history of heart health issues, at least not on my side. There had been history on my husband's side of the family, so I was aware that this happens and there had been a few um, deaths on his side, sort of younger males, but none certainly um, from my side of the family and certainly not female. So it totally caught me by surprise. So it was 2007 when your life changed in a way you could never have foreseen. And um, c- can you tell me what age you were? You were very young and, and explain what happened. Yes. So I was 36 and it was, a uh, you know, beautiful Saturday morning in a cold November day, but beautiful for me because it was a week before Diwali. So I was really excited. Um, Diwali is a Hindu festival and one of my favorite festivals where, you know, families get together. A lot of wonderful sweet dishes are prepared. And um, I was busy in the kitchen preparing some of that with my young daughter, who was five at the time. As we, it was busy, you know, I had a lot of things on my mind and a plan. I was working through that and all of a sudden I felt as if I was choking, which was really weird because I hadn't eaten anything. So it felt like a strange sensation to be choking on something. Um, And I suddenly very quickly started feeling unwell. So I sort of, you know, left what I was doing and um, decided to just rest for a while. I thought maybe I've overdone it. I've been standing on my feet working away. Um, for a couple of hours. So I, I washed my hands and went upstairs to lie down on the bed. And I, I didn't really say anything. Was my The rest of my family were around, but I didn't really say anything because I didn't want to alarm anyone. I thought, oh, it's just one of those things which, you know, it'll pass with a bit of rest. Luckily for me, my daughter 
came upstairs in a few minutes to see, mom, how come you've left what we were doing? We were working together on making um, Rice Krispie chocolate balls, something she really enjoyed. And she said, mom, how come you've left halfway? And she came and found me lying on the bed. She was only five at the time and gasping for air and sort of, you know, now, now I've been told I was sort of, it seemed as if I was in and out of consciousness and I saw her come up and um, luckily I, I opened my eyes and managed to whisper to her, can you go down and get some help? Um, really fortunate that she took that seriously and instead of going off to play, she went downstairs, got um, her granddad, my father-in-law, grabbed him by the hand and um, pulled him up upstairs and said, please, you need to come with me. So granddad came and he saw me totally shocked because five minutes ago I was busy bustling in the kitchen. And I managed to whisper to him um, that you need to call an ambulance. I'm not feeling well. He was totally shocked. There was a um, a phone near the bedside and he, he managed to dial and call them. And he got put through to the the 999 service and they were asking him a lot of questions about me. So he was trying as best as he could to answer everything, given that he's in shock. Nothing like this has ever happened before. There is no family history. So he's doing his best to answer all the questions that they're asking him. They asked him a lot of questions and a lot of detailed questions. And I believe the call went on for probably 25, 30 minutes um, as they were asking a lot of these things. In the meantime, probably about 15 or so minutes later, the doorbell rang. They had dispatched an ambulance um, to the door. So in a very funny scenario, my mother-in-law was downstairs not knowing any of this going on upstairs. So she opens the door. My mother-in-law was alive at the time. She opens the door um, and these ambulance people, are paramedics are there knocking on the door and she doesn't know anything about it. So granddad then shouted and said, oh, let them up. You know, Hina is not feeling well. And so they rushed upstairs and um, my mother-in-law, grandma also came up. She was trying to talk to me and I could hear her saying, Hina, wake up. Can you hear me? And it was as if I was underwater. I could sort of hear her, but not really. And I remember the few instances when my eyes opened, I could remember how worried she looked to see me in this state. My husband was out at the time. He had gone to pick our son from, you know, one of the after uh, Saturday clubs. So um, he wasn't there at the time and he came very soon after. And again, complete shock to see an ambulance at the doorstep. His immediate thought was something's happened to his mom, my mother-in-law, because she did have, um, you know, issues in the past related to the heart. But he didn't have an inkling that actually it could be me, his wife. So total shock. I don't think he even made it inside the house. The paramedics, um, you know, had assessed me and, uh, you know, they discussed amongst themselves and they lifted me to take me down the stairs and into the ambulance. So by the time he arrived, I was actually in the ambulance and they were checking me out. Uh, they did a quick ECG on me and they were discussing amongst themselves too. And I heard the word heart didn't hear it, didn't know anything about any of it. And I was trying to stay as calm as possible, not knowing what was going on. 
with me. But I was trying to tell myself, stay calm. It's the people who are here are best place to help you if you remain calm. If I start to panic or cry or worry, it's not going to help. And I started praying, um, not knowing what else to do. So I was just praying, thinking of my life, thinking of my children, thinking of the future, but also trying as best as I can to stay positive, having my full trust in the amazing NHS service, the paramedics, and the fact that whatever was happening, the people who were there were best placed to help me. So that was how my life changed on the 3rd of November. Yeah. I mean, as as you say, you were, you know, one minute, you it was just a regular day. You'd had no warning at all that this was going to happen. And then your life turned, you know, took a dramatic turn. What was going through your mind? Were you, I know you said you you were staying calm, trying to stay calm, but were you frightened? Did you, did you, did you think, you know, I'm not going to make it? It, it? it sounds frightening to me listening. It, it was frightening. Um, and it was the not knowing what it was, which is really scary. I think we're all we always strive to be in control of whatever we are doing. We all always have a plan. I am going to exercise. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have lunch. I'm going to have coffee. When you're under the weather, you feel, okay, I'm under the weather. I have some flu. We still like to know what's going on. And we still sort of know that we are going to get better. This was the not knowing what was happening to me, what was happening inside of my body, and not knowing how dangerous it was or not, but just this strange sensation that I've never experienced before, where I was constricting feeling in my throat, um, not being able to breathe very much, and just totally being from fit and well to being on a stretcher. It was very scary, very frightening. I had a young family. I had a son and a daughter, and I was worried about them. They were both in school and really young. I didn't want anything to happen to me more because I was worried about the future of my family. But I tried to push all of those thoughts aside because I knew they were not going to be helpful. I did not know what was happening and I did I did not want to predict an outcome or a negative outcome to whatever was happening to me. So I just very strongly pushed those thoughts aside and I started praying and meditating just to give my mind something to focus on, just to say, each word or each mantra after mantra so that I had something to focus on and not not go down that loop of negativity. So that's what I did. Amazing. And so you had no idea even when the paramedics sort of mentioned heart or you didn't allow yourself to think, oh, I'm having a heart attack. I didn't. And the reason is, it's probably naive, but in my mind, I was in my 30s had a fulfilling career, family life. I was sort of juggling it all. And I never felt a heart attack could happen to me. I was a woman. I didn't have heart history, heart health history in the family. I didn't have any of the conditions that people call, you know, the predispositions. I was a non-smoker, you know, very moderately had alcohol I've been a vegetarian all my life. I didn't have any of those factors which would have 
caused me, ah, maybe I should be watching out for this. So it didn't cross my mind at all. Um, and even when they mentioned the word heart, I still didn't think it was a heart attack. I just, I, I didn't think anything really about that. I just thought, oh, okay. Um, and then they, they were being very careful not to alarm me. But they did then, when my husband entered the ambulance, they said, we, we suspect it's something to do with the heart. They didn't use the word heart attack. It's something to do with the heart. And we'd recommend taking you to the heart specialist hospital, rather than uh, which was Harefield Hospital, rather than the one which was nearest to us. So they asked my husband's permission um, to do so. Um, and he he gave it. He said, yes, you know, if you feel that's the best for her, then that's what we should do. So he came along with me, but up to, I think up to the point we reached the ho uh, the hospital, we didn't know that I was having a heart attack, which was probably a good thing because I think, you know, I would have panicked. He would have panicked. We were still worried and panicked anyway, but we would have been more panicked because heart attacks quite often mean, you know, in my mind, it's like, oh, this could be fatal. And just to clarify again, you had no warning symptoms. You weren't feeling off colour in the days leading up to it. Nothing untoward you felt in not, your body? No, not at all. I, you know, I had a busy life. Um, I had a full-time job, young children and everything that goes with it and a busy social life. I used to exercise, I would say, irregularly. The intention was there, but it would drop in my priorities, just trying to juggle everything. But I still was very active. I'd be walking to to the ch to the school with the children every day, and you know, doing what I could. And even when I used to walk and you know lead my busy lifestyle, I never had any symptoms which would mean that something was not right. Many people talk about feeling breathless or feeling tired or not being able to climb the stairs in the same way that they could before leading up to a heart attack. I didn't have any of those at all. So for me, it really came out of the blue. I didn't even have flu-like symptoms or mildly unwell um, before to alert me that something was wrong and I should perhaps get myself checked out. Sure. And so when you got to the hospital, can you explain to me what happened next and at what point you know, you, you were told you're having a heart attack. Yeah. So, you know, luckily, you know, it, it, I got blue lighted in the ambulance really quickly. I don't think there was that much traffic. So probably got there about 20 -ish or so minutes later. Um, and I was met by a group of um, the medical professions from the hospital. I believe it was the cardiac surgeon who came out to greet me he was in already dressed in his scrub so he must have been forewarned by the team beforehand that I was arriving and um, he came out I, you know I was brought out on the stretcher and he greeted me really warmly he held my hand and he said he said his name and then he said I'm going to look after you you're you've had a heart attack but I'm going to make sure you're okay and that was the first time I heard that, but it was said in such a warm and friendly and amazing way by someone who knew what they were doing. It filled me with, oh, wow, 
is this what has happened to me? But I'm going to be fine. He's going to look after me. And it was just so reassuring to hear that. They whisked me really quickly into the operating room and my husband was asked to wait in the waiting area. And in the sort of um, operating theatre, there was a lot of people there. I think they were already just waiting for me. And I remember sort of, you know, they they did an angiogram and an angioplasty on me, uh, which is basically putting in stents into um, wherever the blockage was. I didn't know any of these terms. I did not know what they were doing. So this is very different to going for a planned operation or surgery where you can be prepared and know what's happening. Here I was just not knowing any of these things. And whilst they were doing their best to try and explain it to me, but they were all very alien terms to me, something that I have perhaps heard and perhaps read, but don't really have a full understanding of. So um, I remember feeling really, really cold because you still you stay awake. They don't put a full anesthetic on it on you. I remember feeling really cold, and when they inject the dye, it feels it's really weird because you feel cold from the inside, which is something you don't normally experience. You feel cold from the outside on your skin. And I remember one of the nurses was holding my hand to make sure I wasn't panicking and saying you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. It was just so warm and so lovely. In such an intense situation, the care that I was given. So they did their, they did what they had to do. They put the stents in, and then I was out within about an hour. And they wheeled me out of the operating area, and I and out onto where my husband was near the waiting area. And I remember seeing his face, and I think it dawned on me at that point, the shock and horror of everything that had just happened. The enormity of it all. Absolutely. Yeah. The enormity of it all and how close I probably had come to death. I think I saw that when I saw my husband's face. All of it and the, the sort of fear and shock and in some way delight to see me made it real for me that, wow, how our life had changed from the morning that day to the fact that I was alive. He he stayed with me for a while and then he left to go home so that I could rest. And I remember some nurses came to me and they gave me some medication, some drugs. I didn't really know what they were or what had happened. And this is the thing. So the, everybody had been absolutely amazing. But after that, obviously, the consultants and everybody, they move on to the next patient. So you, you as a patient have 100 questions, but you don't really have anyone who can quickly answer them. You know, when the nurses brought those drugs, I was like, what are these for? It's like from someone who barely ever takes even paracetamol to be given these drugs and you you kind of want to know. And um, I guess... If the nurse sort of told me something which which was um, something I remember, which is like, oh, you have to t- take these forever for the rest of your life. And <laughs> I had exactly the same expression uh, when I got that. Oh, is it, it made me realize this wasn't just a one-off event. This is like something which is going to st- stay with me forever now um, in the sense that I had changed from being a healthy woman to someone who was going to have to take medication for the rest of my life. 
So that was another, it's something small, but it's something that is like, has suddenly changed in my life. I had a lot of questions, many of which didn't get answered just that day. So I rested and I, you know, stayed in the hospital for a couple more days. It was difficult to get all the hundreds of questions I had answered. That was something I I really wanted to ask you was, what was the biggest question? I mean, there must have been so many emotions, some of which you've beautifully explained, like, you know, why has this happened to me? You know, it was difficult to to process, I I can imagine. What, What was the burning question? So the burning question I had was, what now? What's my life going to look like? Will I be able to go back to work? Will I be able to bounce back into what I used to be able to do before? What is safe? What is not safe for me to do? So whilst the operation is relatively routine for, you know, people with heart history and uh, people who go through this, it still is pretty traumatic for the body. And I didn't, you know, whilst I looked fine on the face and there was nothing major, I remember in the days after I felt very weak. Walking to the bathroom felt like a major effort because of all the shock and trauma that the body had gone through. So I remember in the days up to that, I I felt, oh, does that mean I have to change my whole lifestyle? Can I go back to work? Do I have to change my diet? Will I be able to look after my family in the same way that I could before? Hundreds and hundreds of questions. What are the side effects of the medication? Will this happen again? How will I know if it happens again? What will I do? So many questions and very few answers. So luckily at that time, one of the nurses directed me to British Heart Foundation literature that they had in the hospital. So they were little booklets which explained things, conditions like having a heart attack and the treatments for them. So I was given a little booklet on angiograms, angioplasty, what a stent was. And it was written so beautifully in simple language for for me to understand. And it also talked about what happens next and how do you how do you go back to living a normal life and that was immensely useful so i took that information um and then a few days later i came home and through my recovery process i started using the british heart foundation website a lot to try and either look for materials order publications and then just basically find out more about people like me how did they bounce back? What do I do next? And try and find find out answers to sort of basically just get back to normal, really. Absolutely. Um, and were you also, would it have been important to you at that time, Hina, to, to try and reach out to someone who'd had a shared experience, had a heart attack out of the blue so young? Is Is that something that looking back you think would have been helpful to you? It would have been immensely helpful to reach out to someone who could, who had gone through a similar experience and how did they bounce back. In many cases, all the people I knew of were older, um, some close to retiring or retired. And, and those are the people who, you know, had survived and recovered from a heart attack. At that time, I didn't know of anyone in their 30s who I could speak to, to say, what can you safely do? How did you bounce back? 
So it would have been really useful to be able to know that I was not alone and there were others and they had survived. I remember even after a few weeks going to the rehabilitation classes that the Harefield Hospital offered. And again, similar to me, uh, there were many patients there who had gone through something similar. But again, almost everybody was older. So it would have been really helpful to have, you know, heard from people or talk to people who are perhaps in a similar situation as my, myself. I do remember there was one one person who was in a bed next to mine in the hospital who had a similar issue and he was much younger than me. So I had chatted to him once and, you know, felt really sorry for him because he was he was in a profession which was very active. I believe he was a plumber and what he was told he would never be able to do that again because of the he didn't have the same condition as me. He had something else. But his life changed dramatically compared to, say, mine, because I had a desk job and potentially could go back to work, etc. So that was the only other person I remember meeting in, in the follow up who was younger than me. And, uh, you know, this uh, this had changed his life even more so than it had mine. The BHF's life saving research is giving hope to so many people. If you would like to support our work, please consider a donation by going to bhf.org.uk slash donate pod. Tell me about um, the psychological sort of coming to terms with this, because when I've spoken to people, especially younger people who've had dramatic heart incidents, They've all said that the physical recovery was much easier than the psychological one. And as you've said, you know, learning to come to terms with what had happened and adapt to that in your life. Yeah, and and that is true. Um, I think physically, you know, the doctors will tell you there are measures and things that they can do and they'll tell you, yeah, you're fine. You're on the road to recovery. For you to come to terms with something which is unexpected, it's hard. It's not easy. I was really, really fortunate to have a very loving and supporting family who helped me all the way through a place where I worked. They were really supportive. I had a, you know, a, I had a program where I gradually went back to work and I was closely monitored to make sure that, you know, I was only working as comfortably as I can. And there was a gradual um, way I could go back. So, that really helps, but you know your your mind and your it takes it it takes time to come to terms with it because you go from being someone who had nothing to worry about and was completely healthy to someone who has to learn to live with the condition that they're going to have for the rest of their lives. You, I remember feeling like my confidence has, confidence had dropped dramatically. Thereafter, I used to be really confident in everything. And I remember feeling scared to think, will I be able to do this again? But over time, I did and I could. The rehabilitation classes helped um, listening and watching, you know, British Health Foundation videos and things also helped. All of that helped to know that people can bounce back and go back to doing amazing things. 
But you have to take it slowly. You have to listen to your body. You have to learn and watch out for the signs. You have to get into a routine of taking medication, all of that, and eating healthily and prioritizing exercise. So all the things everybody should be doing, you just learn to value and prioritize that differently. I also remember, in a, in a strange way, it gives you a new outlook to life. It makes you realize the things you used to worry about don't matter as much. And you start to appreciate the bigger picture, you value relations and things more. So I feel as a result of the heart attack, I probably have lived on and have managed to get a better balance in what I've wanted to do, been able to prioritize whatever I've wanted for my family, friends, and all of that much more than if this incident hadn't happened to me. That's not to say I don't have lapses. I do. But I'm more conscious of making sure I make choices that matter to me much more than perhaps I would have. Sure. Um, I mean, you, you spoke very poignantly earlier on about, you know, when this was happening to you on that day and you were having your heart attack, how you kind of your main worry was, you know, not being here to see your children grow up. But I know that amazingly, you've managed to to celebrate some wonderful milestones with your family and your children. So can you explain, you know, can you tell me a little bit about that, like your son's graduation, for example? Yes, yes. And I, I, I remember in the days when you're, you know, when I was in the hospital bed and um, mulling over what life would be, one of the thoughts that had crossed my mind is, well, this possibly shortens my lifespan and I remember thinking, my children are really young, and what I'm going to aim for is to do everything I can to try and recover and stay alive and healthy to see my children grow up. And I also remember thinking, I would love to see my children graduate. I would love to have my 50th birthday. And fortunately, a few years ago, my son did graduate. I have, you know, was around and have been able to see him through schooling and, you know, his higher education. Um, and yeah, it was a really proud moment for me to be there with him when he graduated. He's now working, um, really happy to see him settled. And same for my daughter. So she's in university right now. She's doing really well. It's just amazing to see them grow up and be confident adults. And I feel so honored to have been around to help make that happen. Oh, that's amazing. You're ma making me get really emotional now. <laughs> um, after you had your heart attack, did it change the way you kind of felt about your heart? I mean, we all take our hearts for granted, but they're a precious thing. Did, did, did it kind of consciously make you think about this thing that you have in, in your chest more? It did make me think about this thing that I have in my chest, which runs my whole body and everybody's bodies. It's strange. When things work, you ignore them. It's when there's a problem, it becomes the focus. And that was exactly the case for me. So I did start to read up and find out and investigate what could have caused this. Is there something I could have done to avoid this? 
what do I do now to make sure I don't trigger another heart incident? So I'm much more conscious about making sure I include some, you know, physical activity and doing yoga and meditation and taking time out for myself and trying to eat more healthily, prioritizing exercise. So I'm trying my best to do um, all, the, all the things that is hopefully still going to continue to extend my life and live healthily. I also realize that there's so much more to the quality of life than necessarily the quantity. So, you know, going back to feeling gratitude and making sure that I make moments count rather than worrying about trivial things. I strive to do that. I've continued to work. I love my work and it's fulfilling. So I think, yeah, just having a balanced, fulfilled life and not putting so much emphasis on this went wrong, this incident happened, it's going to happen again. The one thing I do watch out for is I don't overdo things. I, I do know, uh, for example, I have a, a Fitbit and I monitor my heart rate and things. So if I'm exercises, I'll, I'll, I'll try and make sure I'm not overdoing. I don't go for extreme challenges. So I do things within my limits as such. Sure. I mean, you spoke there about making things count. And, you know, after your, shortly after your recovery from your heart attack, you became a very ardent supporter um, and you've shared your story multiple times at various events and, and campaigns. Why was it so important for you to support the British Heart Foundation um, and our funded research in the way that you do? So... Supporting the British Heart Foundation feels really natural to me. Um, firstly, selfishly and personally, I believe it's through some of their research that such huge strides have been made in helping people with heart conditions. So personally, I feel I benefited from some of that. Secondly, the care and attention that, you, you know, is given by the nurses is absolutely amazing, but we all know they have limited time. So this, the supplementary information that I managed to get out of the British Heart Foundation publication and resources was immensely valuable for me in those times. I think now at the moment, you can probably search for anything and get an answer, but at, at least at that time, it was really useful to see a publication from some a, a body that you can trust which is tried, tested, and you feel this is reliable advice. So that was really valuable for me. The other thing is there were not so many females who have probably been in my situation that I knew of. So in that way, if there is anything I can do to a, raise awareness that this can happen to women, it can happen to women in their 30s or any age, it's not just something that happens to other women or other people, and then you can, you know, you can manage this condition and recover from it and go on to live a fulfilling life. Don't ignore the symptoms. If you feel unwell, ask and seek for treatment quickly because it's the minutes there that count. Yeah. So I think those are my main things, what I'll try to do when I continue to support the British Heart Foundation. My whole family is, you know, they, they all do active work. My husband's done the Bridge Heart Foundation, London to Brighton ride. So 
with a lot of other friends. So I think the British Heart Foundation is a charity that we will continue to support. Well, thank you. Thank you for everything you you have done and that you continue to do, all of you. It's it's hugely appreciated. Um, can I just ask you, looking back, what would you tell your 36-year-old self, that 36-year-old mum who, who was having a heart attack? I think I'd say don't take life too seriously. It will be all right. I didn't know that at the time. And I know I fought so hard to remain calm. I was always one of those people who felt I was in control. I had a plan. I know what I'm going to do today, tomorrow. And in a moment, all of that vanished. Instead of celebrating Diwali the way I had wanted to, the following day I was in the hospital. Luckily, I did get home before Diwali, but it was... It wasn't necessarily, I was still recovering. It wasn't still in the same way I'd planned to celebrate. So yeah, the advice I'd say is don't take life too seriously. Enjoy every moment. Yeah. Perfect. And and as we come to a close, can I just ask you how you're doing now? Um, Have you had any more heart incidents since? So no, um, I'm doing fine now. I'm much more conscious of, you know, sort of, managing my life and work and everything better I prioritize exercise I haven't really had any more heart incidents there was one time during COVID actually when we were all locked down and I was starting to follow this exercise program online so you know they always say before you take on an exercise program check with your doctor I couldn't so probably overdid it and in uh, you know sort of over a few weeks and then I experienced um, the same sort of feeling, the feeling that I'd had a few years ago. I contacted the doctor o- over the phone and they immediately told me to go to the A&E to get it checked out. And, and just as well I did. It turned out to be it was all fine. But I did have, yeah, I think the outcome of that was like, yeah, I need to take it a little bit easier, not not go too high up on trying to do crazy things. Yeah, you know, listen to my body a bit more. In in this instance as well, I guess I I did recognize that, yeah, this doesn't feel quite right. And I did take it seriously rather than thinking it's just a sore throat or something. So yeah. Um and finally, what what are your kind of hopes and, and dreams for the future? So my hopes and dreams for the future, um, if you if you think from a you know heart health perspective, it would be we come to a stage where, you know, heart health is is really, really good and there's treatment for almost everything. And in terms of for myself, I just like to be able to, I love traveling. Um, so I like to see, continue traveling, you know, visit a few new places. I've never been to South America, so I'd like to visit that. Mauritius is on our bucket list. I want to spend more time with my family and friends. You know, uh, as I mentioned, my children are both adults now. So it's becoming a little bit more challenging to try and um, arrange family vacations, etc. But we all strive for it. So I'm really looking forward to, you know, going on more fun places with them and, yeah, leaving a purposeful life. 
Amazing. Well, I hope you have a fabulous time on your future travels. And thank you so much again, Hina, for, for sharing your story and your thoughts with us. Thank you for inviting me. If you want to find out more about heart attacks, visit the BHF website at bhf.org.uk. If you've got any questions or concerns about your heart or circulatory health and want to talk with a cardiac nurse on the BHF's Heart Helpline, go to our website at bhf.org.uk slash hearthelpline. You'll find all the contact options there. And if you've got your own heart story or have any thoughts on this episode, we'd love to hear from you on email at thetickertapes at bhf.org.uk.